Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, Jordana Michelle, lesbian love coach and matchmaker extraordinaire. You can learn more about me at jordanamichelle.com, where you will also find amazing free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and because I'm such a great matchmaker and I might already be friends with the woman of your dreams, I'm also offering everyone a free survey you could fill out so I can keep you in mind as I meet amazing women just like you through the work that I'm doing and the networking I do all the time throughout our community. All of this is free at jordanamichelle.com. But in the meantime, I have a question. Were girls ever mean to you when you were younger? Did you ever have a time when your best friend stopped talking to you and you didn't know that day who you could trust? Did you ever experience a group of girls acting clicky and excluding you when you were little? I know I certainly did. And in this episode, I got to sit down and interview Rosalind Weissman, one of the world's leading expert on girl friendships, girl clickiness, girl conflicts, and mean girl behavior. Rosalind Weissman's New York Times bestselling book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, is basically the Bible when it comes to these topics. And actually, her book was the basis of the cult classic movie Mean Girls, starring Lindsay Lohan and written by Tina Fey that was released in 2004. Let's be honest, almost all females everywhere had experiences when we were younger where girls were mean to us. Clickiness, competition, and mean girl behavior is something that pretty much every female experienced when we were little, and for some of us, it was pretty traumatic. And this is true regardless of your sexual orientation, but for those of us who grew up to be lesbian or bisexual, the relationships we have with females are our primary relationships. So if we can't trust women because girls were mean to us growing up, that's going to cause a whole extra layer of problems for us in our dating lives. So that's why Rosalind Meisman and her work are so important for our community, and that's why I was so excited to interview her for this podcast. Rosalind Weissman has had only one job since graduating from college, to help communities shift the way we think about children and teens' emotional and physical well-being. As a teacher, thought leader, author, and media spokesperson on bullying, ethical leadership, and the use of social media and media literacy, she's in constant dialogue and collaboration with educators, parents, children, and teens. Rosalind is the founder of Cultures of Dignity and is the author of the flexible dynamic curriculum, Owning Up, empowering adolescents to confront social cruelty, bullying, and injustice. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. You're going to learn so much about the way females relate to each other. And we talk about things like competition between girls and later in life between women, and how this competition harms our confidence in ways we might not realize. We talk about the bad coping skills we tend to learn in our early friendships with girls that affect our relationships later in life in ways that most of us don't realize. We talk about the way our early friendships with other girls can habitualize us to sacrifice our personal boundaries in ways that a lot of us don't realize. And she talks about watching her queer female friends get hit on by curious straight girls, which she has a funny perspective on that I think everyone will appreciate. So here's the interview with Rob. Rosalind Weissman. So grateful that you're here. Oh, no problem. Um, So I invited you on the podcast because you are an expert in how girls interact with one another. And female-female interactions are central, obviously, to the lives of lesbians and bisexuals. Um, And another premise of yours is that 
experiences that we humans have as young teenagers are really important to our development. Um, you say our experiences during that time and the thoughts and behaviors we develop as a result fundamentally shape our self-identity and relationships and that this needs to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. And for us, these relationships with women are our primary relationships. So, um, you know, I, want, I was hoping we could talk to you about this very hostile, scary climate that girls learn to have relationships with other girls in. Um, mm, sure. Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, what a conundrum, right? That you are, if you are sexually attracted to other women and, or girls and women and you um, really connect, right, that this is like a fundamental part of your being and that you want that as your primary relationships, that um, how, how complex and confusing that can be when I think sometimes we can put, as a straight woman, I've certainly watched and walked walked through and walked alongside um, lesbian and bisexual and trans women friends of mine. And it's to walk, I think sometimes we have a, we put people on a, pet, on a pedestal if we feel like, well, they're like me, right? So then I need to, I assume that this relationship is going to be free of the conflicts that are inevitable to people no matter what, or because we're two women that we're going to understand each other even more, or we're not going to have the kinds of conflicts that people have when they are in like complex relationships with each other. And I think it can almost feel like a betrayal that, you know, if you're a lesbian that you are like, wait a minute, I shouldn't be having these kinds of conflicts. When in fact, actually, you're a human being, like everybody, and relationships are complicated. And um, I actually think that assuming that you're not going to have conflicts and that you put things um, for, for women and relationships with women on a higher pedestal actually sets you up for even more disappointment and more confusion. So it's, um, I mean, I know that for myself as a straight woman, that when I feel betrayed by another woman, that, that cuts much more deeply than it does sometimes when a man does it. Yeah, um, you know, there's the two sides of it, right? There's the way that girls are our sisters, right? But we also know that girls are mean, right? The movie based on your book is called Mean Girls. And mm -hmm. when people see that title, they don't say, oh, I don't know what that is. I mean, people know <laughs> that girls are mean sometimes, um, especially uh, adolescent girls. And yeah, yeah. I, I, what I think also just is, and specifically about... Um, in the queer community that it would I having worked in that community my entire career, you know, so that's more than 20 some years that especially with young people that what I've seen over and over again is um, that there's an assumption that you're not going to fall prey to or be vulnerable to the same kinds of pressures that straight people are. And that when you do fall prey to that, that you um, sometimes I think that we aren't as forgiving of each other as we should be because, well, you know, we're in the, that community. So we should be, so we should, we should be able to handle these things or be more mature about them or more enlightened about them. And I think that that also, that can really create a situation where you are afraid to make mistakes or you create your own rules and limitations that stop you from being able to take the risks that you need to in relationships or forgive people for making mistakes. Well, what was really funny, what you talked about, this assumption that it's going to be um, very warm and welcoming and that there's going to be this certain acceptance. You know, I, I definitely, when I first came out, I came out before ever even having kissed a girl before. And I remember when I first started going to girl bars alone, to lesbian bars, to meet other women, the most, I, I expected 
it to be really awesome and welcoming and warm. And what I found, unlike walking into this like awesome networking event of all my best friends, it really felt more like I was a new girl in a new high school. Um, and, <laughs> and you're like, and aren't you like, wait a minute, we're a lesbian. We're all supposed to be in this together. Like, it what's was a that? shock for me, but it was very real. And so I yeah. all of a sudden had to relive a lot of what it is that you write about, which is why when I discovered your book, I said to myself, this is required reading for lesbians because it was, it really hit home for me. You know, especially with the question of clicks, like a lot of girls, um, and you have a really interesting theory about clicks that I love. You talk about how it's this way of girls surviving as they're leaving the mothership of safety, right? And there was a part of me that wondered, is that similar for lesbians as we're leaving our mothership of safety? We're coming out where we, we, we were in this world where we were straight. We thought we were just like everybody else. Now we have to leave our community and almost find this new community of other queer women and, um, it's scary. So can you talk about that mothership, that feeling that you wrote about? Sure. Well, I mean, this is true of everyone. So that when you are leaving the culture that you grew up in, that, um, and you are creating and forming your own groups and your own affiliations, that that can be really scary. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's going from like elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school or going to college or graduating from college or about your sexual orientation. Um, it's when you create your own groups or when you step into um, being a participant in a group, then sometimes what happens is that in order to be in that group, there are a lot of unwritten rules that you have to figure out. And if you make, and sometimes what happens is, is that you don't know that you've broken any rules. You don't know what the rules are until they've been broken, until you've broken them or you've seen somebody else break them. And so when you walked in, for example, to that lesbian bar for the first time, what you were also doing is absorbing a lot of unwritten, unsaid rules. And breaking them. You weren't even aware, probably, of some of the rules that you were picking up. And that's actually what culture is, right? Culture is everything you know would have never been sat down and taught. And so we have the overarching culture, which is giving rules to women, for example, that are very specific, but they're so complicated and nuanced about regardless of your sexual orientation, but it really it's focused on your gender expression, on what you can and cannot be as a woman. And then it, then the, what happens is we form our own smaller groups, and those groups are reflecting or rebelling against that larger culture and maybe doing a combination of both. And so, and again, what is so complicated, it is often unwritten and unsaid. You just sort of pick up on what those rules are, or sometimes people don't, they can't pick up on those rules and they make the same social mistake over and over again. Or there are people who look at these rules and say, I truly do not care about these rules because my personal authenticity is at stake, is compromised, or, or I'm not able to be in community the way that I want to be in community because these rules are stopping me from, from those kinds of responsibilities or those kinds of accountabilities. And so that, or it, it really weakens our, our community. So understanding those things as a woman overall, but also specifically when you're part of a subgroup of a culture, that's really important because otherwise you get co-opted by it, right? Otherwise what happens is, and I see this a lot with my, with young students, with young teenagers or young people I work with that, you know, we have this assumption that gay straight alliances are going to be this like really open hearted, really open minded um, communities in high schools, for example, 
they can be just as intolerant as everybody else. And one of my jobs is to be able to call them on it in a way that they can hear because they because that's not fair. And that's also because they so passionately believe in social justice that my experience with those kids is, is that once you can say, hey, wait a minute, if somebody is straight, you know, or if, is, is there a presence or a place for people who maybe disagree with you or maybe don't see the world in exactly the same way that you do. And that's really an important thing for people to be talking about and thinking about um, for everybody, but particularly for people, I think, who are in subgroups who are thinking about how they want to be in the world and show up. Absolutely. It's so interesting how, um, you know, uh, competition and and groups can play out in kind of mean ways no matter what strata of of society you find yourself or, you know, whatever yeah. that means, however, whatever group you're, bro- group you're broken down in. But one right. other thing that's interesting about the way that people are mean to each other when we're younger and then how that affects our ability to have relationships later, I think is also really interesting what you teach about. Um, for example, confidence, right? If you're going to be attracting women, if you're going to be dating, if you're going to be having good relationships, you have to you know, be able to develop your own sense of confidence. But when we're younger, our confidence gets crushed in interesting ways. Um, in the book, there's a quote you say, we often overlook how girls' interactions with each other can contribute to their feelings of inadequacy, right? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. And as we grow up, we need to have, so can we talk about that? Because I think sure. that's important for those of us that are dating women to heal and understand. Sure, sure. So, I mean, there's so much to talk about with these kinds of things. But um, so with... I mean, it's women are raised to not communicate clearly. Um, We're raised to not be able to admit when we're angry in ways where people will take us seriously. Um, We are raised to not to, to downplay what we're good at. We are raised to be effortlessly perfect. We are increasingly for a large swath of, of um, women, we are ra- and young women and girls, we are raised to really come across as effortlessly perfect in everything that we do. So it's not just good enough now to be like really, really good at something. We also have to be really good at something and be really, really good at like makeup because we've spent hours and hours and hours on makeup tutorials on YouTube or having our Instagram, Instagram account, like always looking at, it always looks like we've got this perfect curated life. And, um, I don't think that that's, um, that's exclusive to straight women. I think that women are really, really suffering from constantly having to have a curated life and, um, and that we have to be perfect at everything that we do. So if you're going to be, if you're going to have a particular look in the gay community, in the lesbian community, then you better have that look down pat, right? It's, it's like this constant rules and, and are we ever allowed to just be, Hmm. And I think that, especially with social media, that we are increasingly not allowed to just be. And that the competition and constant comparison is a constant in our lives because we are constantly checking, right? We are lurking and we are seeing what our friends are doing and what other people are doing. Like, for example, you know, you graduate from from college and you're looking at your women friends and what they're doing and how they're presenting themselves. And it's all a lie. I mean, it's all a curated lie of like our perfect lives. And we know that, but we still believe it and we still are impacted by it with our confidence. And then that makes us envy other women and it makes us envy their accomplishments. So that's, this is, this really brings all of us down. And again, this is regardless of our sexual orientation or our gender expression. It is about what happens when we all get pulled down. We get so focused on pleasing this invisible audience that where, where are we in the process? Where do we find ourselves in the process? What is 
being authentic? What kind of relationships do we have? Are those meaningful? Um, how do we break up with people, right? Like if you have a girlfriend and you know, you break up with her, like you're stalking her on Facebook or on Instagram and you see that she's doing all these amazing things with everybody else and you feel horrible. What do you do with that? I mean, that's just, it's just a presence now that I think we really needed to own and appreciate how it's making us a little bit like batshit crazy. Yeah. Because in, um, when we're just spend our whole lives, um, competing and comparing and competing and comparing when we were younger, that was one thing, but now we have the internet and social media where, uh, I guess you're right. It's just curated com- competition and comparison in a big way. And you mentioned yes. also earlier about this um, inability, like not, we're not allowed to express what we like about ourselves, right? You talk about that. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to say what we like about our body and we're not allowed to say what we like about our looks, right? So it's like we're competing, but then we're not always allowed to show our full confidence or if we do. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, sometimes that breaks down on race and class issues, obviously, because people are not just women, right? And they're not just gay women, or they're not just butch women, or they're not just trans women. We're all different kinds of people. And and that obviously has to do with class and race and ethnicity and and all different kinds of things. So I think what happens is, as women, is that we have this sort of individual combination of who we are, and it, but that there are big, big things, big parts of that pie that make us who we are, like our class, our ethnicity, our race, our gender expression, our sexual orientation. And what happens is that, to a various extent, it impacts the way that we express our anger. Um, are we allowed to express our anger? How are we allowed to express our anger? So, for example... For white women, it is unfortunately part of the legacy that usually is attributed to white women that they don't feel comfortable expressing their anger. Um, So if you ask them if they're angry, regardless of their sexual orientation, that they will say, no, I'm not angry, when they can be really angry. But they have been stuffing it down and stuffing it down and stuffing it down and not talking about it because they feel because they've been raised that if from the time that we were really little, that if anybody says anything, when we express our anger, that somebody will say to us, don't be a bitch or don't be a little girl or don't some way in which we are dehumanized and demeaned for expressing our anger. Don't be, you know, don't be too uptight. Don't be a drama queen, things like that. Things that we often probably heard from boys as well when we were growing up. And so we take that and we feel like we can't say anything. And then sometimes we stuff it down and stuff it down and then we explode for a little small thing, but we're not really exploding about the small thing. We're exploding because of all the other things that we didn't say before. But when we explode, it looks like we are stereotypically reacting in a kind of white girl way of like being really, you know, sort of dramatic and silly about something that's really small. And that is a way for us not to be taken seriously. Black women in this country, regardless of their gender or their sexual orientation or gender expression, are incredibly, incredibly compromised in their ability to express their anger because of the black woman, black angry woman stereotype. And one of the things, again, regardless, regardless of sexual orientation, is that black women oftentimes are, are not oftentimes, are constantly regulating how they can express their anger because they, you know, because they don't want to uh, fall into that stereotype. And I have dear friends, dear black women friends, who have been so angry at racist things that white women have done. And then when they have expressed that anger, have ended up having to console the white woman because the white woman is crying and she's really upset because, God forbid, somebody's addressing her about some racist thing that she did. So it is imperative. I mean, my goodness, like my hope and my hope has always been that the queer community 
because of its under because of people's experiences of being othered and outside and constantly having to regulate themselves with other people that they would have a particular kind of sensitivity or just thought and concentration and compassion for the others the different levels of otherness that people have and that they would apply that to their own relationships um, because that is alive and well regardless again of your sexual orientation right and you talk a lot about that like the rules of anger but also that that we have a hard time expressing our personal boundaries right that we can't um, that we're raised that as we're young girls, the way that we interact with each other, it makes us compromise our own personal boundaries. Um, can you talk a little even about that too? Because I think that's sure. really important for women in relationships with each other, um, sure. dating each other and, you know, all of it. Sure. So when you're young, when you're in elementary school and your relationships, if you had this kind of relationship where you had a best friend forever, you know, and you were just, you spent all of your time and you had like a secret language or you spent all, you knew, spent all your time together and, and sometimes for the gay young women that I've worked with, that sometimes can be a cover. Those relationships can be a cover for the developing sexual feelings that they're having for their friend, and um, which is obviously completely understandable. Um, and the intensity, but regards to, you know, straight or not, or gay or not, whatever, those relationships can be incredibly intense. And so what happens as you grow up is that it's really common to be in groups in friendships, like I talked about earlier, as you get older. So when you're in middle school and high school, and what happens is you develop a, the, a lack of boundaries so that it's more important for you to maintain the relationship and the friendship than it is than how you're treated in that relationship. And when that happens with your friends, that your friends can treat you badly and sacrifice your personal boundaries or go after the things that they know that you're sensitive about, for example, um, that they will embarrass you, but then demean you if you say anything about it, those kinds of things that when you develop, unfortunately, the coping skills, these are not great coping skills that you learn to cope with a relationship that is treating you badly and is sacrificing your personal boundaries so you can maintain the relationship that as you get older and develop intimate relationships that you're going to take those coping skills with you to your intimate relationships. And it's really something to think about for um, gay women because it's really to think about how that tracks into their sexual intimate relationships because in some ways, maybe, and as a straight woman, I would want to hear this from queer women that as you do, as you go from your friendships as a child to, Oh, oh I'm sorry. Um, um, let me start again. Um, so what I would be interested in is in hearing about and having gay women think about is as you go from your friendships um, where you're so close and you develop these kinds of coping skills that some, it feels maybe like there's very little separation between those friendships. And as you get older into those intimate relationships and you expect there's just that because there's a constant expectation that women are supposed to have these really, really close relationships, especially if they're sexually involved with each other, that it's even more easy to become enmeshed and to lose your sense of self and personal boundaries. So that's not something that I'm certain about, but that's something that I would think is important to talk about. Yeah, I mean, have you heard the joke about the lesbian yes. the second date? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's definitely but, no, but still, you know, yes, of course, but um, but I also think that it's really important for gay women to really think about how these experiences, um, how they played out in their own lives, and how they've seen it in their own lives, and I mean, just the two things of 
sacrificing your personal boundaries to maintain the relationship and the expectation that your relationship is supposed to be closer and better because you're two women. Um, well, I think there are separate things, right? Sacrificing, settling for someone that doesn't treat you right is one thing. Um, but that I don't know if it's necessarily that the relationship is supposed to be closer. I don't think that's something you sort of decide from the outside. But I do think that by nature, the fact that you're both girls and you can share everything and go everywhere together and have that, you know, best girlfriend thing on top of the sexual intimacy, I think it lends itself naturally to that. Um, and then yes. you're right that every girl has to self-regulate. Every, every woman uh, who's in a same-sex relationship does then have to self-regulate and ask themselves, am I um, focused enough on developing myself as a person or am I only focused on this relationship uh, to my own detriment? And obviously um, I, I – um, a mentor of mine once said that you can, uh, you know, he measures, uh, he was talking about guys, but he said that I measure, you know, a guy by the strength of the woman that he's with, not by, you know, not, you know what I mean? Just sort of how much is he letting her shine, not just trying to control her and him be the one that's amazing. Um, and so kind of for that for ourselves, focusing on how amazing are we letting ourselves become, how amazing are we letting our partners become and having that space. So yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree with you on that. Yeah. And you know, I think it really comes down to that, you know, that if you're proud of your partner, if you're proud of who they are, how they conduct themselves, how they contribute to the world, um, if you're proud of the way that they treat you, then I think you're in good shape. And if you're not, then you got to really look hard at why you're in that relationship. And what's most important, I think, is not thinking, oh, I have this crappy, horrible relationship. It's that I have a relationship that's got some things in it that aren't great. And then I've got some things in it that are, for whatever reason, are valuable enough that I'm staying in it. And at what point I'm, are, what, at what point is it appropriate that I then leave the relationship? At what point do those things get so out of whack that I recognize in myself that I shouldn't be in this relationship? And, but I, I do think it's important because I do so much work with young people on, you know, on intimate relationships and abusive relationships that, you know, we get to a place for ourselves of like, why am I putting up with this? This is a horrible relationship. Well, there's something there that you're getting from it. And there's nothing, there's nothing shameful about that. There's something there that's important to you that you're getting. And it's not weak to want a relationship and it's not weak to not be able to leave a relationship right away. No, very, nobody does that. It takes a really long time. And, you know, and there can just, it's just important to be able to, I think, affirm that even in sometimes the worst of relationships, there are things in their relationship that make it worthwhile for why you stayed in the first place. For sure. I've had some crazy girlfriends and I also had, you know, there were great things about them too. Otherwise I, I wouldn't have been there. Although ultimately it was the right thing to leave each time. Right. Um, but I do think that there is that fear of being alone that keeps people. Um, and I guess probably in high school, it's no different, right? When you're in high school, I, I, I know people used to say, oh, there's life behind high school and these things won't matter later, but it's hard to see that. Oh, God, I hate that. Yeah, we're right. It's belittling their, their situation, but it turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is that, but I think that that same fear of when you have a relationship to leave it, not knowing what comes next, not knowing if you'll ever find somebody better, it does keep people, I think so. You know, also I have to say that in the newest version of Queen Bees, because I've done it three times and the last one came out in October, I think of last year. Oh, I have this. Is this the one, the third? That's the third one, yes. Right, that's the third right, one. Right. And I, but and this has been coming up for a while as girls became more comfortable being out or being sexually active in social situations. Um, I think one of the things that would be really interesting for gay women to think about and talk about with each other is that in my experience with teen girls that are out, 
that when they're out, other girls know that they're out and sometimes will, you know, experiment with them or they will want to get with them and make out with them at a party to please the boys that are at the party. And they can manipulate that girl's feelings and those and that girl's heart to be able to figure out her own sexuality. And I also wonder how much for the lesbian young women that I've um, taught, worked with, cared for, care about, that they um, are impacted by that, by ironically that those experiences, that sometimes they know that they're being used and that that will impact the, the, um, the degree to which they trust other women. And, um, and that's so hurtful, right? To be, uh, to, to be the experiment, to be the person that you experiment on. Like in your thirties too, please. You know, how many, you know, there's, there's, there's that ongoing debate is, you know, oh, she's going for a straight girl or, you know, is that straight girl being serious? Is she just using you because she wants the attention? Is she just trying to make herself feel better as her boyfriend's not being nice or is she trying to whatever? Right, Um, right. Or just curious and wants to feel good that night and next thing you know you're a lesbian and some girl throws you up against the wall in the bathroom and you know what the hell. But she doesn't mean it and she's not going to be there tomorrow. What? Yeah, but I do think that that, you know, that's a really important thing I think for women in the community to talk about because that very much from the young, again, like my focus is for the most part on women who are like 25 and younger that, um, that that really can impact the way that you, you know, look at other women. And, you know, if you've been manipulated or hurt by those women, those things carry with you. And it's important to be able to affirm, like, that's a hurtful thing. And it's, um, and that you deserve to be treated better than that. And just because you're gay doesn't, and out, so you've taken this incredible risk, doesn't mean that you should be also taking the risk of having your heart broken all the time or being manipulated by other people or used by other people. Well, girls so, do it to guys you know, too. Right to that. Yeah. Girls do it to guys too. You know, um, not that I'm saying that lesbians or bisexual women do, but this is, you know, women like attention, you know, women are, are interesting, interesting humans. Um, but that whole question of the ways in which we're hurt when we're younger, um, I wish that, you know, that had been one of the ways that I was hurt when I was younger. I might have had a little bit more fun. But, you know, for me, girls were really mean to me when I was younger. And that did scar me when I went out into the world and started dating women, experiences that I had had. You talk about sure. these lunch tray moments. Like I've had, you know, um, the can, – can you talk about that? Because that is one of the things that as I got older and started dating women, trauma from, from how mean girls could be and, and for not knowing if I could just trust that they would be nice or trust that they'd be open or trust that, you know, there would be that kindness yeah, sure. there. Sure, sure. What is a lunch tray moment? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, you know, there's, um, Mean Girls was certainly not the first to do it, right? But, you know, getting to the lunchroom and not knowing where to sit and having that moment of like, oh my God, I'm terrified. I just, I feel like I'm the only person in the world in this lunchroom or cafeteria that doesn't have a place. And so you just want to like die or become invisible or, you know, like in the movie, you hide yourself in the bathroom. Um, so, I mean, that's like the lunch tray moment of like, where do I belong? And not only where do I belong, but I don't belong anywhere and everybody can see it. But and also, those three things. I'm sorry. But also you, even beyond that, when you're new to someplace, but also when girls are, your friends turn on you. There was oh, one sure. moment right. too where you don't know where to sit because everyone that you trusted has just betrayed you. Right. Right. Those two. And so, right. And that's really, and so here's where we get to the place where girls are usually not um, direct about why they're mad. So when you, when the girl goes up and wants to sit or she can be sit, she can be a, trying to sit down or sitting down at the cafeteria table, which usually seats about six to eight people that 
it becomes so uncomfortable or so clear that she's not welcome. And then if the girl says, like, what's going on or tries to figure out what's going on, then it's not uncommon for girls to be to lie or to pretend that everything is fine when it's really not or to whisper or to roll their eyes or to make little snarky comments, like little, little tiny ones, like little thousand little cuts that you feel like you can't say anything about the little cut because it seems so stupid to talk about something that's bothering you, which seems so small. And that's actually a really horrible, effective strategy to get somebody to feel excluded, to feel marginalized, but don't feel like they have the credibility to say anything because they're so uptight or being so ridiculous that they ever said anything. And so that's, I think what's important for girls and for women when they experience that is to name it, is to say, yeah, I I get it. I get that like one-on-one, like taken by itself, these little things are nothing, like, or they should be nothing, but together... It's, it makes me feel like crap. And the other part is, is you have the right to your feelings anyway. Like, even if that little thing is the thing that hurts you, you do have the right to your feelings. And nobody gets to say to you, well, that's just, you know, you're just making too much out of something. It's incredibly important for people to be able to respect. There actually should not be a she said, she said, or he said, he said, or he said, she said, because everybody has the right to their experiences about things. So you can disagree about the facts about something, but you cannot disagree about like you feel this way or I feel this way. So when you get to the lunch table or whatever it is and you feel it, you can name it. There's no weakness in naming that because it's happening anyway. And the more you don't talk about it and the more that you pretend that it's not happening, then the weaker and more vulnerable you're going to feel. So being able to name it actually empowers you because it actually is saying at the same time, I'm strong enough to be able to say this and I'm not dying because of it, but like I'm strong enough to be able to say it. So what the hell is that? And that's an incredibly empowering thing for women to be able to say to each other. Because women can smell weakness too, right? Back to that confidence thing. Um, when they're all whispering about each other and you're the one left out, there's this secret. Everyone sort of knows what's happening and they know you're, you're the one who's not in the know or the one who doesn't know the rules. Right. So if you say like, okay, what's up? Did I do something? Like, what's going on? Um, And you call people out on it, then they're going to lie or they're going to, like, equivocate or they're going to – or, on the other hand, they could get super aggressive. Either way, what you're dealing with ultimately is do you want to be associated, affiliated, and hang out with these people, right? Because it doesn't stop. Like, I mean, it it takes – for some people, some women do it their entire lives – And there are some women who literally becoming an adult is stopping this kind of crappy behavior. And what is incredible to me and what is so um, frustrating to me is that adult women don't realize that when they act like this and they're acting sort of quintessentially like they're in eighth grade, that they are truly contributing to their own dehumanization. They are contributing to not being taken seriously by other people. And that's that they are contributing to their own sexism. And that doesn't take away from the inherent systemic sexism that we all deal with every day. It doesn't. It doesn't make an excuse for it. It doesn't rationalize it. It doesn't in any way justify it. But we have to be able to contribute and to be be strong enough and mature enough to be able to say, hey, when I call this woman a slut or when I go after this woman or talk behind her back and I am 32 years old, what the hell am I doing? What kind of woman am I? we got to be strong enough and mature enough to be able to ask ourselves those questions. And what do you think it is that get that because they do talk about? I mean, that is something that a lot of people agree is that oftentimes women are their own worst enemies. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that where is that originating from? What is that? 
Well, I don't think women are our own worst enemies, especially right now, because I think we have some pretty big enemies. Yeah, right you're right. We, you know, I yeah. mean, like, I don't think we're ever our own worst enemies, but I think right now, pretty clearly, with so many people trying to strip us, strip us of our basic rights, that um, I think that it's pretty clear we are not our own worst enemies. But we certainly are not helping things when we backstab and we don't handle our, you know, we don't handle our stuff straight up, because then it contributes to people being able to dismiss us. So, you know, you're thinking about the job that you didn't get or the promotion that you didn't get at work. I'm not saying there's a direct line. What I'm saying is you got to handle yourself. You got to handle yourself in a way that you respect. And so being snarky and snipey about other women that are your peers, it all goes back to, here's the problem though. It goes back to this constant comparison and competition thing that a one, a one woman's achievement is taking away from our own. And that is something that we have got to, got to address. Um, I'll give you an example actually right now where I was just reminded of this, where my very dear friend and colleague, Rachel Simmons, who wrote a book called um, Odd Girl Out, like right when I was writing um, Queen Bees and Wannabes for the first time. And the books came out like within, I think, a month of each other. And we found out about it. And instead of destroying each other or going after each other, we worked together so that both books would support each other. Well, I mean, that was a really long time ago. A couple of days ago, literally this, week, um, this weekend, I was reading Rachel's new book, which is amazing, that is coming out in March, and it's called Good Enough As She Is. And I'm reading this book, and I have this simultaneous, and this is what the content of the book is about, but I'm reading the book because I'm just, you know, doing a blurb and endorsement, and she's talking about the competition and comparison that women have. And, you know, I've been a successful writer. She's a successful writer. Um, I've been, you know, successful in my career. And I'm reading this, and it's so good, and it's so well-written, and it's so smart. And I literally simultaneously have two feelings, which is I'm so damn proud of her because I think this will really contribute to women feeling better about themselves on a lot of the issues that we're talking about today. And at the same time, I'm so jealous that she actually did this because it's so awesome. And I'm thinking like, what the hell have I done in the last, right? And these two things happen at the same time. And I think the thing that's so important is to be able to acknowledge the feelings, right? Like, oh God, I had that feeling of envy. But that you don't in any way let that supersede the much more important feeling, which was, my friend and colleague did an amazing thing, and I need to do everything I can to support her. And her accomplishments in no way detract from mine. And my and that and that really at base, after I get over my little feeling of envy and jealousy, that I really am so damn proud of her for doing something so incredible. So I think that that's the thing is that we have to acknowledge the feelings we have, and then get to the place that's more important, which is that woman kicks ass and I need to be able to support her however we can, because my God, there are people in the world that do not want us to succeed. That's amazing. Um, that, that like ability to live with your unpleasantness, with, to live with your envy, to live with our smallness and just be totally okay owning it and say, you know what? There you go. I was envious <laughs> and it is what it is. It um, is what it is, right? Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like, it takes away so much of the power of it. You're just like, damn. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Owning our shadows and just acting in face of it. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of being okay with all that. I, I love that. And then yeah, being able okay. to communicate it because, you know, um, okay. So, okay. So I have an interesting question because you talk a lot about popularity and talking about high school and adolescence. There are girls that are really obsessed with that. Um, and in helping with dating and relationships and learning, um, 
like how status plays into it and how women are attracted to high status it's just, and how we're hierarchical creatures by nature, right? We derive from apes. And if you look at chimps and apes and bonobos, all of them, you know, we have this hierarchical nature in which we flourish, but yet we have this like love hate relationship with popularity, which I find just the whole, that whole dichotomy I find so interesting the way we're attracted to it. And then we don't want to admit it. Can you talk about stuff like that? Sure. So, um, so hierarchy in a way is different than popularity or popularity and social status and the high position of hierarchy that you have is a part of hierarchy, but hierarchy is not always based on popularity. So hierarchy can can be based on merit. It can be based on seniority, which has its own huge issues, Um, but it does not necessarily always correlate to popularity. So, One of the things that I did from the very beginning with popularity and talking to girls about it was I asked them to define it. And they very clearly, it was um, very obvious that girls, and they still do today, where they define it in two different ways, which is that popularity is when people like you, right? People like you because you're nice to them. And popularity, because you you have high social status, because you're able to control and dominate other people. Mm. And um, and then there's also the kind of popularity where it seems like, and focus and attention, because it seems like you have all of these things that girls are supposed to have, like the right body type, the right hair, the right look, the right clothes, the right, the right, the right, the right of everything, the right social media, the right Instagram account, the right this, the right amount of followers, the right amount of Snapchat streak, you know, your streak. Now, of course, all of this, you know, connects to social media. Um, so those things are very different. And I think it's, it's important when we're talking about hierarchy and popularity that we separate them clearly when we're talking about it so that we know what we're talking about. Right. Um, and for me, what I think is important is that girls get really confused and people get really confused about why does everybody hate the popular girl so much? And there are two reasons for it. One is you can be really jealous because it feels, again, like if that girl has a certain amount of right things, it feels like you don't have them and you envy that. So that's one kind. Mm -hmm. And the other is you don't like her because she's mean. And there are some people who abuse their social power. And um, not everybody who has all those right things abuses their social power. And there are girls who don't have it who can abuse power. So... It's, this is, it's actually a pretty multi-layered it's a potent definition, but what's important is to be able to talk about it and to be able to say, no, wait a minute, why is this person so popular if they're actually not nice to people? And I mean, that's sort of the hallmark of like eighth grade is that you look back on seventh and eighth grade and you look at this, you know, you look at the picture of the girl in your yearbook or whatever. And you're like, why was everybody so afraid of her? Like, why? Like, what did she have some kind of magical mythical power over people? And at the time, it really does feel like that person has magical mythical power. It's pretty, it's, 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 it's a big deal, which is why it is so important as adults to never go back to a kid and say, yeah, what you're going through right now doesn't matter. No, because it matters a lot of the time. But what's so interesting about um, about same-sex relationships is that within um, you can meet someone and there's like you're kind of simultaneously not sure whether you're going to date them or whether they're going to compete with you or whether they're going to they're going to sleep with your ex or whether they're going to you know date. Yeah, you. that's really confusing. It's it's all kind of on that same side. So whereas in 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 normal girl world and heterosexual girl world, they're sort of competing for status and then they date guys on the other side of the of like of the aisle sort of we can yeah. stay within this and it's it's kind of a crazy oh I hadn't even thought of that that's horrible <laughs> really interesting <laughs> I, mean, I mean I'm laughing and I it's not I mean I, I like that's it's not funny like 
that's horrible. Um, if you're trying to suss out, like, do I like you? Am I sexually attracted to you? Are you going to be good friends? Are you going to date my ex-girlfriends? Like all that stuff, that would be really confusing. It's crazy. You go up to someone to try and meet her and she's like, and instead of being open, sometimes there's that competition is I don't want you dating this other girl I'm here with tonight. So I want to shut you down and get rid of you almost, you know, it, it, Oh my God, that's, that that's is really horrible. aggressive. I'm not saying girls are always that aggressive, but I've had some interesting situations. So no, I can, I can totally see that. That is wow. Yeah, no, I'm just remembering. I'm just remember. I'm just having a flashback to a good friend of mine from many years ago, a lesbian who was really socially aggressive. One of the more socially aggressive people I've ever met. And, um, yeah, I can totally see how that would be complicated and confusing. Which is why when I read your book and, and it was all about clicks and status and like all this stuff that happened, I'm like, this is required reading for lesbians. <laughs> so for everyone listening, you have to check out right. Kim the, When you walk into a lesbian bar that you get this book. Yes, it's like should be handed out like at the door. Here, read this. Or if everyone coming out, they should just oh be gosh. mailed a copy of it. For real, for real. So, but tell everyone, where can they find you? What are you working on? Tell us like what, you know, what, what can people learn? Yeah, sure. So what I'm doing right now, I mean, I've been working on homophobia and racism and, and power struggles between adults and kids for a really long time. And I write curriculum and lesson plans and, um, and just for people to know that I've spent many, many, many years using the privilege I have as a straight person being um, being an advocate in the queer community because I'm a married straight woman, you know, who's, who has children, right? And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And when I first started doing that, it was, um, it, w- it, was, it was an extraordinary thing to watch my queer colleagues take the risks that they were taking. Um, and you could, and this is, it really was one of the times where I felt the privilege I have, relative privilege I have, the most. Um, I just, it just, it, it's just so striking to me to think about sort of where we are and where we need to go and that kind of stuff. Um, but so what I'm doing right now is I'm working with teachers to be able to manage themselves better with students, with young people in schools, because oftentimes we assume, or people like the educational system assumes that teachers are emotionally mature enough and can regulate themselves with young people. And in fact, actually, that's not often the case. It's really hard to be a teacher. Kids can be annoying. And, um, and sometimes teachers and very, excuse me, very rarely teachers are taught how to manage themselves in the classroom. They're taught how to teach math, but they're not taught the more important issues of how to build relationships with young people. So young people want to actually be in class and learn. So that's the thing that I want that that's the thing that I'm really focused on. You know, what are those, those little small moments when you're a science teacher and you know, you hear somebody say like horrible things, like don't be a fag or don't be a dyke or don't be whatever those like demeaning words are to kids in those moments. How do they stop it when they've not been trained to, to stop it? Um, so that's what I do. And then the other part I'm doing is actually today, I just, after a lot of procrastinating, it always takes me a very long time to start. Um, I started writing, um, my next book and that's going to be basically, I've been really thinking about how to empower all of us to be the people we need to be when the world can be so incredibly scary. And, and we have all this baggage with us at the same time too. And so I'm beginning. So today was the day that I started this. And so it usually takes me about 18 months before, you know, when I start, start to when it comes out on the shelf. Today so is the day you started the day writing. I, 
today is the I'm day so after excited. a lot of I get to talk to you on today. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I stopped writing so I could do the podcast. Oh, you. my goodness. I'm so honored and grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. And also, yeah. I'm excited to read um, Masterminds and Wingmen. Is that what yeah. For my nephew, because I have a baby nephew, and I want to, if it's anything as good as Queen Bees and Wannabe, then I'm sure it is. I'm excited to read that one, too. And well, to look thank out you. For your I love book. that book. I, I love writing that book with all these boys that I was working with. And then if people want to reach me, um, my website is culturesofdignity.com, and it's super, super easy to find me. <laughs> yeah. You're amazing. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to be here and to answer these questions. I was, I was reading this book saying, I just want to talk to her about this stuff. So <laughs> and it's here you awesome are. that I finally get to. Thank you so yeah. much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want more amazing free resources that will help you develop more self-confidence and help you make yourself more attractive to the women you desire, then go to jordanamichelle.com where you will find some of my best secrets all for free, including the ultimate guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life forever, a quiz that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you finally meet her, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes that lesbians make when coming out, a quiz that will tell you what kind of TV series your coming out story would be made into if they made one, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind in case I happen to know or meet a perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help you find love. All of this is free on jordanamichelle.com. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so I can learn more about you and what you're up to in the world. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Women Wanting Women.